You're listening to the Winter Hughes Podcast with Joe and Eric Hughes. And now, here's the Hughes Brothers. Welcome to a new Winter Hughes Podcast, a Bay Area sports podcast with a heavy focus on the Oakland A's. I'm Joe Hughes alongside my co-host and my brother Eric Hughes. And Rick, a lot to get into with the A's. We have the new Oakland lineup showing a lot of promise early on. Lawrence Butler continues to shine as well as Zach Geloff who is looking like an elite player already in his short time in the big leagues. He is also getting Ryan Noda back this week and sending Tyler Soderstrom, their top prospect, back down to the minor league. So we're going to start with the Oakland A's. The starting pitching kind of hitting a wall for the A's as of late, but when they have gotten starting pitching, we've seen that, you know, Losing better has been a big part of it, but they've also started to win some of those close games. They are still pretty dependent on the home run. Unfortunately, a lot of those have been solo, but we're seeing better baseball when the A's starting pitching is able to keep them in a lot of those games with the way that they have all these young players rolling out right now. It's just been better all the way around, and this is what A's fans expected to see this year was a new foundation forming. And we can kind of see that foundation out in the field. And these guys are helping these pitchers. We're not having like last season, the ball would just drop in the infield between shortstop and third base, Mm. right? Sometimes with two outs, you know, like this year at the start of this year, just pitchers making lots and lots of mistakes, right? But then they weren't getting helped out when they they just needed something to like get them out of that inning. It just wasn't happening. Sometimes they were balls just hit to spots that, that fielders couldn't get to. But a lot of the guys that were there to start Connor Capel, for example, you know, we're not really seeing him anymore, you know, and uh, there's other guys that are taking that place and they are able to get in those positions, make those plays and help those starters out. And I think it's it's a lot more what we were expecting to see just because there's been so much noise surrounding this season. It does seem to be following, you know, the regular routine here. And we are kind of on pace to see a new foundation and a foundation that you know, is playing really good baseball that is helping these starting pitchers have some better starts. I think that was one of the frustrating parts about last season is that these top prospects that we're now getting chance to see, they were still like a year away. So last year, you were watching a lot of people that it was hard to get invested in because you didn't think that, hey, there's not a lot of long-term people here. Then as the year went on, Shea Langoliers gets called up. You know, the A's made the trade. They get Ken Waldachuk and J.P. Sears, and those guys start making a debut. So you're starting to see some of that come up. But this year, especially since the All-Star break, it has just been a cavalcade of, and I don't mean cavalcade as a pun or anything like that, but it has been a lot of these young guys coming up that you've been waiting to see cut their teeth at the big league level. We've gotten a chance to see Tyler Soderstrom. We've gotten a chance to see Mason Miller, Luis Medina, Freddie Tarnock. You're going down the list and, you know, it's a lot of rookies when you look at this new Oakland lineup. Now that Ryan Noda's back, you've got Ryan Noda at first, Zach Geloff at second, Nick Allen at shortstop, Jordan Diaz at third base, and now it's Shane Langoliers, Lawrence Butler, Estuary Ruiz. That's almost an entire rookie lineup that the A's are featuring. I mean, even guys like Brent Rooker, technically a veteran on this team, he's in his first full big league season. So it's impressive to see how quickly the A's are graduating some of this young talent. Now, the baseball's still not great all the way around. It's better, and you're watching that learning happen for some of these guys. But 
it is fun, especially watching a guy like early on, we had to be content watching Ryan Noda and Estuary Ruiz provide a lot of that spark. And now day in, day out, Zach Geloff is an at-bat worth watching. And until that changes, his stock is just rising, right? Like, is it going to continue to prove like historically that doesn't really seem to be the case but until something changes he continues to be on an, a historic role right now and just a really exciting fun player to watch and it's something that we've kind of talked about uh not really on the podcast but just talking about different fan experiences right like there are the dodgers or the giants who can field a, a roster with future hall of famers and be competitive to win the championship where with the a's you know that's the goal but it kind of seems like hey we're, we're going to get a team that's going to make it to the playoffs getting and winning the championships a little bit of a stretch we hope so but we're not really like going into the season like that's going to happen right and then you have other teams that like hey we have got two of the best players in the whole league we're not going to make it to the playoffs. Like you don't really get to pick what experience you have unless you just choose what team you're following based on what experience you want, you know, but we've talked about like maybe an, an angels experience where you get to go and watch Mike Trout. You get to go and watch Shohei Otani. You're not going to go see a lot of postseason ball, right? You're going to see individual great season. We are seeing Zach Geloff and it's only a, a month, right? But it's just so historic. We're seeing a guy who is just playing out of his skin day in and day out. Every time he comes up to bat, the home run he hit on Monday against the Royals. I was just talking about my family like, wow, look how good this kid is. And his stance, you just see all this power and then boom, he smacks it off there. So just such an exciting player to watch because we have seen the young guys come up before. We have seen these young guys with a lot of potential, these Franklin Barretos that just haven't gotten the the this the time like you're this is your spot it's your season like Barreto was like hey man maybe you're the missing piece here we've already got some other people established so i know it was a different time in in the process but yeah geloff is just playing out of his skin butler's coming up even the singles that he's hitting are like if somebody catches that it's going to go through yeah. their glove here's the numbers for you on zach geloff as you're talking about that historic start in 32 games, he's hitting 304 with nine homers, 11 doubles, and a triple. And I've got this stat for you from Martin Gallego. Zach Geloff has 21 extra base hits and 21 runs over the first 32 games of his career. Now, players that have done that this season, not just to start their career, but 32 game spans of 21 extra base hits and 21 runs, there are 17 of them. And almost all of them are all-stars or MVPs or, you know, top heralded prospects. And, you know, I've just got a partial list here instead of going through the all-17 list. But this is, again, for Martin Gallegos. That list includes Shohei Otani, Aaron Judge, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Matt Olson, another guy that's on that list. As you said, small sample size. He's got to do it as long as some of those other guys that are on that list. But... That's exactly what the A's are hoping for, for a top prospect. It's very impressive watching this and just hearing his teammates 
talk about the energy that it brings having that guy in the middle of the lineup and how it's allowed everyone to kind of relax and have fun with what has been just a dreadful season for and the he he just he looks like the kind of guy that he makes a mistake and he can just kind of let it go it looked a little uncharacteristic on monday night the empire called a strike one that was outside of the zone and geloff looked pretty upset about that it was a bad call it was like it, yeah, was, it was a really bad was, call. Yeah. It looked a little uncharacteristic from what I'd seen. Like it looked like it bothered him more than it should have. It was a close game, right? We're we're still in like tie game, bottom of the ninth, right? So other than that, I've seen him just kind of shake things and just like I'm on to the next one, you know? So that was the the first time I'd ever kind of seen a reaction that it looked like, oh, that kind of got to him, you know? I, I Yeah, and that makes like- sense because, you know, you're trying to, you did your job. You had a good eye. You laid off a pitch that was way outside. I mean, so calling it outside by you was very polite because it was a bad call by the umpire. Oh, they- oh, yeah, it was off. Yeah, and I think that that's what bugs you is because if you're Zach Geloff, you see that strike get called. And now I've got to expand my zone beyond what I would like to be able to do. So I know that that does bug guys when that happens. No, absolutely. And you see guys get ejected for that. Yeah. You know, like it, it is about that mental part of the game, being able to flush those bad calls because they are going to happen. Or like Butler, when he had those three changeups in a row, right? Like not probably mentally having seen that before. Like you're probably not going to see that in the in the A-ball. triple A, yeah. And so then there is that other mental aspect of just being able to flush it, move on, be in the moment but still keep mentally prepared. So I know he knows that I'm going to throw this and, you know, that that whole aspect. Well, and that's why these weeks, the last five or six weeks of the season are so important. These reps are so big for these guys like Zach Geloff or Lawrence Butler, Jordan Diaz, Nick Allen, not just to show what they can do, but to have this learning curve happen in a season when the A's aren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And when the games really don't have that much importance other than the learning process of it, and like you talked about, that was a little bit of a, a welcome to the big league moment for him. Lawrence Butler, three straight change-ups. And when a guy can throw a change-up for a strike, let alone you know continue to control it like that, that's exactly what you're talking about. Is like That is a different level that happens when you reach this tier. And learning that this is part of the change that I've got to adapt to. And we see guys struggle with that. Some guys come up like Zach Geloff and they hit the cover off the ball for the first two weeks, the league adjusts, and then it takes them a while to kind of find their footing again and make that counter adjustment. That's one of the things that's been so impressive with Geloff is he makes those in-game, in-at-bat adjustments sometimes, figuring out how guys are attacking. Now, he has always been known as a guy that could hit. Like, he came through the system. It was whether they were going to find a position for him, second base is where they settled on, and how long it was going to take him to get settled defensively. He's looked great defensively. He's been fine. And now we're seeing his strongest attribute, his ability to hit and deliver in a way that the A's are really looking forward towards this guy being a centerpiece of what they have going forward. And I'm curious, Lawrence Butler's up. He coined the term New Oakland, and he's talked a lot about that. They want this iteration of young players, including Zach Geloff, to be the next generation of Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, that they were aware of those guys coming through as a core, guys that the A's drafted, and they want to go on and win together and win a World Series together. They understand that there might be a short window because that's the way the A's are. I'm curious, hearing that as a fan, are you excited that this group 
seem so committed to wanting to be that core for this franchise? Or just does hearing New Oakland strike your ear a little odd knowing what's happening well above their pay grade with what the A's are looking to move on towards Las Vegas? Yeah, I mean, I think it would definitely sound worse if it was like Los Oakland, you know, <laughs> like yeah. uh, or if they were moving to New York and they were going by New Oakland. With the New Oakland, with what you're saying, the identity of the team and, and, and the crop of players that was here and just uh, left, I do like that. And I do see that. And that was kind of, I think what we really hope to see this season was that new foundation. Who are those new guys going to be? Olsen's gone. Chapman's gone. Who's coming in, right? And what we do have now is like, okay, now we know. These are the guys. They kill on the top of my head. I could probably name five guys from last year's roster, right? Like, so we knew like those were not the core, right? And so now we're starting to see people that these can be the new core. This can be the new Oakland. I'm totally bought in. I love, you know, Butler coming in with decked out in gold, gold bats, and just like really embracing the the colors. And that's part of the culture, right? And the green and gold. Love seeing it. And you can see those pieces. Now it does feel more like now we know who Matt Chapman is. Now we know who Matt Olson is. Now let's give them a whole season to go out and play. And maybe they'll surprise us, which is what happened, you know, and what happened going back to the 2012 team, that same kind of system. So now it does have that belief that, hey, we're on the path back. These are the guys not expecting them to go to the playoffs, but teams past have shown hey, we can be young and we can take you to the playoffs with this talent. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did. You look around the models for baseball teams right now, guys are getting moved up through the minor leagues so much faster than they had before. I mean, I think the Angels are calling up a guy they drafted, what, six weeks ago. He's already moved up all the way through their system is getting a chance to play at the big league level. It's just happening so much faster because teams are wanting to get these guys up and maximize their talent. They don't want them to get hurt or, you know, maybe have their best year in the minor leagues and stall out. So we're seeing guys move through very quickly. And to your point, next year, there's a chance that this A's team doesn't just make a leap and, you know, wind up as a wild card team, although that could potentially happen. But there is a chance that they can get a lot better very quickly. Coming into next season with a young core that's still probably going to struggle, but I mean, A, it's a low, low bar on the win total that they're going to be looking to improve upon. But you think about coming into next season with Ryan Noda and Zach Geloff, Nick Allen, Jordan Diaz, and Lawrence Butler, Estuary Ruiz, Shea Langoliers, maybe Tyler Soderstrom, Mason Miller, and, you know, Luis Medina, and J.P. Sears, Ken Waldachuk. That seems like a way stronger team even though it's unestablished by their big league credentials than what we saw coming into this year or even two years ago. And that gives me a lot more optimism for that kind of potential that we could see a kind of turnaround that happens quickly when you get all those pieces lined up. Like, look at Baltimore, a team that the A's just faced. They're one of the best teams in baseball this year. And that happened very quickly as they got their young talent up to the big league level after years and years of kind of tanking to build up that stockpile of young talent. Well, there's just been an overall culture change in baseball, right? For so long, baseball was a game where you you saw 24, 25-year-old rookies, and that's the norm. And to see a teenager, absolutely unheard of, must be a phenom, Felix Hernandez, right? 
And then you got a couple guys that can get in at 21. Where you look at so many other sports, that's not the case. You look at the NBA, right? right? Like, hey, we'll take you right on out of high school. Come on up. <laughs> you look at soccer. They've got uh, a kid from Sacramento Republic just signed a pro contract at 13 years old. That's, you know, on the extreme. But it's not extreme to see 16, 17, 18-year-olds playing professionally, right? And the same with football, right? Like a couple of years of college, come on up. And we're not going to send you to AAA for four or five years, right? But there's also been a change with just the athleticism in players. When you think back and around like before kind of the steroid era, and, and there's always the mixture of the guys that are in there, right? But think about like a Simpsons cartoon of baseball and the isotopes. They're all big and fat guys because they're not running very far and they're out drinking beers on the road and this and that. Then you got Mike Trout, who could be an NFL linebacker, and he's like, no, I'm, I'm going to play baseball. It's got really good money, and, uh, and it's yeah. guaranteed. Now you've got all these guys that are coming in with just so much athleticism, where baseball, there is that mental aspect where you can have, is it Jamie Moyer? Was that his name? Like that pitcher that was like almost 40 years old and journeyman and just so much control, so much mental aspect that no, I'm not going to throw this 102 by you, but I absolutely right. know what you're thinking and boom, go sit down, you know? That's Zach Grinky right now is that like modern version of but that. Now you have these guys with so much athleticism that they're like, I, you're right. I wasn't thinking that, but I'm going to adjust and I'm going to rip the seams off of that and see yeah. you later, 40 years old. And now you're starting to see, I think my game's gone, you know? So I think baseball is shifting to younger, you know? I, I think we are seeing these guys that get these 10 year contracts. And five years in, their game is gone. It's been a focus for the A's with who they've been drafting, too, is like these guys that we're seeing, like Lawrence Butler is 6'5", 220 pounds, looks like he could play, like he said, in the NFL. Looks like he could make a transition to like any sport he wants because he's got that size and athleticism. Eshway Ruiz with that kind of athleticism that the A's are really coveting with some of the players that they've wanted back because speed has become so much more of the game, not just defensively, but the way that MLB has tweaked the rules to make the stolen base come back in a way that, again, another guy that's got a weapon is you wouldn't really say he's, you know, maybe on that athletic level, but they drafted catchers like Sean Murphy. They acquired guys like Jonah Heim and Shea Langoliers specifically because those guys have this arm and they were anticipating with the shift towards more athletic players, we're going to need guys behind the plate like Langoliers that could be able to neutralize that aspect of the game. And that's why there's more value to a guy like a Sean Murphy or a Shea Langoliers who is really elite at cutting down those athletic base runners who we can see just tearing up the field and making it a nightmare for teams that don't have those kind of weapons. And there's different versions of speed. I'd say there's people that are quick and there's people that are fast. And, you know, then there's some people that have both, right? Like I wouldn't put Langoliers and Noda up there as fast, exactly. But I would say they're quick. And Noda does such a great job of getting on base. And then there's so many times I'm like, oh, he just got picked off. Whoa. He got back like those reactions yeah. were so quick. But 
Do I think like he's going to get first to home in the same ball that Ruiz is going to get first to home? No, I don't. I think Ruiz will make it. Maybe Noda will get to third, right? But Langoliers- Ruiz can go first to home when the, the catcher's exactly. throwing the ball back to the yeah. pitcher. You um, know? <laughs> I think Geloff would think about it, you know? <laughs> um, but Langoliers, the same thing. I wouldn't say he's particularly fast, but man, he can get that ball out quick and right where it needs to be. So I think they're yeah, doing a, a really good job of finding the guys that have the appropriate speed for the appropriate position. The A's like to talk about a good kind of problem, and that is having too many good players, too many good young players to find positions for them. Ryan Nota just called up on Monday. He did his thing, got on base. Well, he's, he walked twice, had a single, got hit by a pitch. You know, very typical Ryan Nota fashion for getting on base. Also scored twice and, you know, looked like he knocked off the rust very quickly through the AAA rehab assignment. Now he's back. So he's going to get the bulk of playing time at first base. So the A's send down Tyler Soderstrom, their top prospect. Struggled a little bit. During his time, he showed some improvement as he was kind of watching pitches and not swinging at every breaking ball that was com- coming away across the plate. But he goes back down because they just don't have regular playing time for him with Noda getting the bulk at first base. Shea Langoliers getting the bulk of playing time behind the plate. Your only other option is DH. You're going to have Brent Rooker in there for the majority of that. So, you know, it will be incumbent upon Tyler Soderstrom to earn that spot. Nothing's going to be given whether you're a top prospect or not, but you're going to have to find a way if you're the A's to play some of these guys, because if Tyler Soderstrom continues to play well enough to warrant a promotion, you're going to have to play him. And it's a problem, even if it's a good kind of problem, when you've got a guy like Ryan Noda, who you really like and trust at first base, you got a guy behind the plate in Jay Langoliers that you really like and trust. You've got a guy at DH that Brent Rooker doesn't really give you a lot of options for what his skill set is. So where are you going to start finding room for a guy knocking on that door, especially when he's such a coveted prospect like Tyler Soderstrom? So what do you think the best thing would be, right? Like, And and I don't want this to come across as rude or anything. I, I really like Soderstrom. I think he has a lot of potential. But I think like right now he's pretty much playing like 4A ball. Like he's too good for AAA maybe, and then just not quite ready for MLB. This is like just a thing I've even had with other parents on my kids' teams, right? Like what is the best for development? Being the best one on the worst team or the worst one on the best team? It could be different per person or per sport. With baseball, you do need that consistency. Like we saw with Barreto that he's tearing it up in AAA, then you bring him up and he sits. And that kind of stunts his development, right? So for Sodastrom, obviously, I I know you're not, you know, best friends with them or you're going to call him after this. They go, I know what Tyler wants. Sody wants this, you know? So what would you say from what you've seen, what would you imagine would be the best move to get the most out of him and to help his development? What they're going to do right now is the best move for right now. Send him back down so that he is playing regularly. He's gotten a taste of what it's like at this big league level. So now it's not abstract. And it's an idea that you can go and you can work on some of those things at that AAA level while you are playing regularly. And like we've talked about, at the AAA level, he will get to see what position the A's are thinking long term for. He's going to get an option to catch again more regularly than than he was up here. He's going to get a chance to play some first base, but that'll be kind of a mix and match kind of situation as opposed to here, okay, today you're going to play first base. Today you're going to DH. Today you're going to catch. 
you don't get that consistency that we think has helped Zach Geloff get comfortable very quickly and has helped Jordan Diaz get comfortable now that he's getting extended playing time that, hey, you're going to play third base every day as opposed to, hey, you're going to play second today, then first base, then third base. Having those guys get comfortable knowing where they're going to be takes a lot of pressure off their plate. And I think that that's going to be one of the big trouble spots for the A's long term because Ryan Noda doesn't really play a different position. Shea Langoliers doesn't really play a different position either. Maybe a little first base, but I think the idea that the A's tried out last year when they still had Steven Vogt and they had Shea Langoliers trying to figure out how to work these guys in and who's going to be comfortable moving around more regularly. Now, the issue for Noda and Soderstrom, they're both left-handed hitters with still a little bit of pop, Soderstrom more so than Noda. Langoliers, it makes it a little easier because he's a right-handed hitter, Soderstrom's a left-handed hitter. So you can platoon a little bit in that way, even if maybe one guy starts a game and then you make a move as things go around and you have that option. But I think for Tyler Soderstrom, the key is going to be until you kind of dig in and establish that you are that elite all-star that everyone hopes you can develop into, that you're going to have to get used to moving around. And to your point about maybe Franklin Barreto, maybe that does stall his development with this A's franchise a little bit. What do you think could happen in this offseason? Because it it is a problem, but it is a problem they may try and resolve this offseason by trying to capitalize on that. So what could you see with some of those pieces that you just mentioned, Langoliers, Noda, which we know Noda, he's got to keep playing or we lose him. What would you say on that? There's always that potential. I think the A's have shown that they aren't ever really sold on any of their really young guys. But if they maybe view that there's somebody out there that they have and they felt they could get a young veteran guy that was going to be helpful for this team, or maybe it's a, a starting pitcher and you make that move. I mean, the move that you could compare it to is A.J. Puck was one of the A's top prospects for a long time and kind of ran into a little bit of a developmental wall as far as what the A's were concerned, and they made a move for J.J. Blade. So they were willing to move one of their top prospects when they felt that maybe he didn't have a long-term path with this organization. Otherwise, you look at, and these are pitchers, but they did something similar when they were competitive again with trading Jesus Luzardo and bringing back a short-term rental who was very good for them at that time, but They're not seeing any dividend of that right now. So potentially, yeah, if Ryan Noda and Shea Langelier cement those jobs, then yeah, the A's do have an asset in Tyler Soderstrom, who is still, I mean, we're not trying to write this guy off. There's a reason that- I'm really hoping he's part of New Oakland. I'm I'm just saying, you know, when we, we can't see that path forward and we know without that path, development gets stunted or stalls, what do you do? Because like you said, they have a good problem, but it's still a problem. Yeah, and Ryan Noda is a little bit of an older player, despite being a rookie this year. And what do you like about his skill set? Is that he gets on base. He doesn't get a lot of hits, though. You know, he gets on base through a lot of walks. And if he does get on base with a hit, it's usually a single. It's not as much power as you might want at first base. So long term, would you be more comfortable with a guy like Tyler Soderstrom hitting 234 with 35 home runs or... You know, having a guy like Ryan Noda that's going to get on base 46% of the time and have, you know, more like 12 to 15 home runs a season. What I want is Ryan Noda hitting in front of Zach Geloff. That's what I want. Mm. And I want him to be on base so Geloff can move him around because Geloff is, and, and the A's keep hitting these dingers, but no one is on base. And so that's what I want. I want Noda 
because he's going to get on. I'm not even talking Soderstrom right now. I'm sorry. I want my guy on base and I want my other guy. I, everyone has one job to do. And so that's what I want. You go get on base. You go move him around. It reminds me a bit of the Warriors in that Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson all have complementary skill sets. They all have a strength where the other one might have a weakness. And that's why collectively as a core, they work so well together. And you look at Estuary Ruiz, you look at Ryan Noda, you look at Zach Geloff and lining those guys up in those top three spots. Ruiz obviously can get on base. And when he does, he's a nightmare. He can steal. But it helps when you've got a guy who is very comfortable being patient, taking pitches. Ryan Noda right behind Estuary Ruiz, giving him plenty of opportunity to take a bag and also being comfortable with two strikes, which is something that not everybody is. So that works out really well. I mean, I, I heard Carney Lansford talking about hitting behind Ricky Henderson and having to kind of develop a relationship where they were comfortable when Ricky was going to steal and when Carney Lansford would be uncomfortable being in certain counts and not wanting to take pitches and be like, hey, if you're going to steal, do it in the first two pitches. Right, note is like, yeah, take five or six pitches. You'll you'll have some time to do that. And I'll get game and you're, right. you're going to go with there anyway. So <laughs> Yeah. And then you're right. A guy in the middle of the lineup like Zach Geloff that has, you know, not just home run potential, but just extra base power hits for a high average. And so if you do get those guys on base and get themselves into scoring position by stealing and moving around, it does start to become a little bit of a juggernaut where the A's can stack some of these guys together to get that offense really going and then allow everyone else to be a complementary piece with the kind of you know, skill set that they have, like a guy like Shea Langoliers, imagine that guy hitting fifth. So if your plan doesn't exactly work out and all of a sudden you've got this pop in the middle of your lineup that could potentially hit 25 homers a year, that really just helps kind of make everything gel and bring or it all Jordan together. Diaz, right? Like, so that's right. the thing is like, and you need that because we've seen these games where the A's are going and you're like, oh, okay, like looks like this one's in the back. And then next thing you know, they seven to two how did they get there too couple solo shots right with no one on like you put those pieces on and those solo shots are now now that's two runs now that's three runs so now you're not gonna go into the ninth inning and blow it and give up five in the night you need to help your pitchers out right you need to give yeah. them that comfort all these things go together right and like mm -hmm. the best teams have all those things they've got their pitchers they've got their hitters everyone helps each other right it's really tough when you're going out doing a tim hudson kind of outing where you've got one run that's the only support you've got you can't make a mistake and now you've just strained your oblique again you know like right. i wonder if that was stress related <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad call has what you've seen from the young guys made you more invested in watching these games more regularly down the final six weeks of the season? Yeah, I mean, you know, Aledmus Diaz kind of had a, a rough go and Jace Peterson had a rough go coming in here. You know, when there are veterans that the A's would rather have you, you know, put a little money to those guys because we know who they are. Keep them around. When you give a little money to a new guy, we're already upset with how this whole season has been going. We're already upset 
with the rebuild process. You know, we've seen some of the return on some of the trades. Some have been really good. Some haven't, right? And Pache's already gone, you know? So like there's different things like that. When you come in like that, there's a little expectation that you're going to deliver. And they had to come in and, and put themselves on the map. Where they put themselves on the map, is just nowhere near what people expected or nowhere near what this team needed. And that's the thing about Geloff, where he put himself on the map. Everybody's like, what are you putting yourself up there? You know, you're a rookie. You don't put yourself that high on the map. But he has shown nothing of why he shouldn't be there. I was really hopeful that Mason Miller was going to be the pitching equivalent of what Zach Geloff was before the and injury. He may and he be. may be, yeah. And he may be. And like, that's the other missing piece is like, now that seems like that, right? Like, Waldachuk and Sears, they're young, they're developing. We're seeing good things from them. It, it's been a season of development with low stakes, right? right? Where I don't think they're going to kind of turn into a piece of the big three, but you do feel like Mason Miller has the key to go out and and just be a stud. Yeah. And I think if they're looking at a big three right now, it would be, say, Mason Miller, Luis Medina, and then Freddie Tarnock developing as those top three guys because of the velocity, because of the strikeouts. And then look at that, filling that out with a guy like J.P. Sears and Ken Waldachuk. That's a really good rotation. That's not a bad rotation at all. And, you know, to your point, we're seeing some of these young guys hit a little bit of a wall. Like Luis Medina just went on the injured list, and that's because of a blister. It's not tired, but it does give him a little bit of a break. And J.P. Sears has kind of hit a little bit of a wall, and opponents are now just absolutely crushing him this last month. And his last four starts, he's got an ERA of eight, opponents hitting 370 against him after they hit just 211 against him in the previous three months when he was, you know, maybe the A's most reliable starting pitcher this season. Part of that is he's throwing more innings already this year than he's ever thrown in his career. And last year, between the minor leagues, the A's, and the Yankees, he threw 117 total innings. This year, he's already at 134. This is a guy that usually goes five or six innings. So that's already three, four more starts than he's already made ever in his career. So he's in a little bit of a wall down the stretch, and that's expected. That's part of developing at this big league level is building that inning count you know, so you can get a lot closer to 200 innings. And, you know, that's one of the reasons the A's loved having Cole Irvin around for so long is that was a guy they could rely on each and every year to go out there and, you know, carry 200 innings for you. They don't have a lot of that right now, but they're developing it. And that's what they're waiting for is when those guys are ready to throw 150 to 200 innings. He's thrown so much because he's been one of the guys that you could count on this year. Not that you're going to count on to go out and have a a great, like, no hitter uh, every night. Yeah. But he's going to go out and he's going to be there, right? Like, look at this rotation. And where's James Caprillion on the injured list? Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many people that have been moving in and out, like, Fujinami, completely gone. You know, Tom Muller was the opening day starter. and, And where's he? Bouncing back and forth between so, AAA so that, and that's yeah. just what I'm saying is like a lot of these guys have been all over the place and like Sears has been there, Waldachuk has been there, another guy Urseg and yeah. you know nobody I think is thinking like man he's gonna be our all star next year but man he has earned Mister Dependable part of finding things out and the A's are happy to get a guy like Danny Jimenez back who was you know their closer a year ago and they were hoping to have him. And Zach Jackson and Trevor May kind of formed that back into the bullpen and injuries happen in every season. So I'm optimistic with what we're seeing from this team. And to your point, 
I'd much rather watch a team like this be bad and struggle through it, knowing that they are growing and that they're going to be part of the future than what we watched a year ago when there's a bunch of guys like, why am I, why, why am I investing my year? time in this? Who played third? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great point is, you know, like if you go through that lineup, like that's the thing, they didn't establish everybody. Kevin Smith started the year that that, and you know, we've seen that he's been bouncing back and forth and had a hard time establishing himself in the big league level. Well, this has been another episode of the Winner Hughes podcast. You can find us on social media at Winner Hughes. You can also find me at Vegas Joe Hughes. New episodes this week where you can also find us on YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening to the Winner Hughes podcast. Make sure to like and subscribe.